Welcome to the Bailaroom Podcast. Today I had the chance to talk to a brilliant entrepreneur, teacher, YouTube content creator, and citizen of the world. He's the founder of the Dance Dojo, an online school that specializes in salsa and bachata. He operates his business in Medellin, Colombia. During the conversation, one thing that stood out for me, it's his amazing ability to reverse engineer the learning process. He is the definition of putting yourself in the shoes of your students to understand their real needs. Without further ado, I bring you Robin Campbell. Let's clap once. <laughs> well, well, thanks, thanks, Robin, for uh, uh, accepting this uh, invitation on the podcast. Uh, I've been seeing you on YouTube for uh, quite a while uh, and doing uh, your stuff on your end, all the, the amazing educational stuff. Um, there was uh, one particular video that I'm uh, that I actually recommend to my students that you made is the almost like five or six parts uh, music for dancers part and I'm a musician and before even dancing and I was always had that question in my head what what information is pertinent to give to a dancer or a, like a recreational dancer not to get into right. the weeds and talk about rhythm and stuff like that and I'm not a, uh-huh. uh, not at all a master in, in Latin music but but uh, I really, I really enjoyed the way you do it. it. It must have been extremely time-consuming, and it's very laid out to the point where I make cr- also material like that to the point where it was so good that I didn't want to do one. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "This is this is top of the heap, top of the food chain." It was really well made and was very uh, progressive and very uh, thoughtful and the way you explain things it is perfect for a beginner and intermediate dancer or somebody that has problems with rhythm so i do recommend that 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 series and i don't know how much time it took you to do that maybe you can speak on on the process sure i uh first of all like thanks for having me i've seen you on youtube for a long time as well so it's cool to actually connect here and and chat um so thanks for that I think you're talking about the Finding the Beat series. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that was actually the series that I, I did to get started on YouTube because before that, you know, just posting kind of demos of our lessons. So I wanted to um, put my face out there and, and talk more. And, and like you said, give some education and, and talk about the things that a lot of teachers aren't talking about uh, in their classes. And they're just hoping that people understand how to find the beat. But I think it's like the biggest challenge for beginners, like you said. It is. Um, so it was the first set of videos I did. And... Luckily for me, like I have a pretty logical way of thinking. So I just kind of sat down and I said like, okay, I know nothing about salsa music. How do I explain to someone how to get there? And so I'd kind of gone through this process because I used to be a a B-boy, like a break dancer. So I'd gone through this process with simple music, you know, Mm. like pop music, hip hop music, rock music, like that has a very simple beat. The instruments are simple. There's no crazy syncopated rhythms. So I basically just said like, how would I do this if there's simple music? And so that's what step one and step two were. Step one was just like, hey, let's understand like what is tempo, what what are what are beats, what is phrasing, just basic musical musical vocabulary uh, with easy music. And then how do we move our bodies to just simple music? You know, stapping our fingers, clapping our hands, stepping side to side. And then let's okay now that you can move to simple music, let's learn the more complicated music, salsa. What's different about it? And then that was step three, just talking about the music. 
um, and using the same concepts as the first part, and then move on, like, how do we move to that music now that we're starting to understand it? So just like a really step-by-step -step process. Do you think that the, 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 the reason we don't go there, because I feel a bit of pressure when I start talking about music, I feel <laughs> that after the fifth minute, like... <laughs> Some people want to do moves, you know, they're here to, to dance. Yes. So I'm trying to kind of do it, but like here and there, mostly in starting an intermediate level. And I also had always a problem to understand when somebody does not have the beat or understanding of the beat. Like I remember one, one of my teachers said, can he tap the foot? It's like, like, a, uh, like a heartbeat. Can you just keep tapping the foot? And some people have a hard time just keeping steady with their hands. Mm -hmm. And I'm and mm -hmm. I'm wondering if that skill in or if you encountered you probably encountered students like that. But did you ever feel that you could teach somebody to be constant, or it's just like something? It's like a DNA strain missing somewhere. I really don't mm -hmm. know. I don't know what's your experience with that. I think that's a great question because it the the question there is really like are people born with talent or can they learn things? Mm -hmm. And from my experience and from the books I've read. It's 100% anyone can learn anything pretty much at any age. And yeah, certain things might be able to be learned or absorbed earlier, like as a, as a child, but anyone can really learn anything at any point. And that's important to tell people because there's this, there's this myth or this belief that they're like, oh, I didn't learn it when I was a kid. Uh, I have two left feet or I can't find a beat. Like I can't clap my hands. I'm screwed and I'm never going to be able to do it. And so I think the first thing is to change that belief because if someone doesn't believe they, can't, they can do something, They'll, they'll never do it. So you, you gotta, you gotta switch that. Um, and, and so can you teach someone to, you know, stay on beat that they can't stay on beat right now? Absolutely. And I think the reason they can't stay on beat right now is because one, they have, they have no confidence. They think, I don't know anything. What is this music? It's foreign to me. So you have to make it uh, familiar to them. So explaining like, even just the basic musical vocabulary, like, hey, tempo, you know, is the speed of the music. You know, this is the instrument you're hearing. This is how it's played. And so, and you know, especially with salsa music, like people trying to find the one. And a lot of the instruments that people talk about, they're like, oh, the clave, the clave is, is, is the key to salsa music. And you're like, sure, the clave is important for musicians and you know, dancers who are a bit more advanced, but to find the one for a beginner, the clave is probably the most complicated thing that you could probably introduce to them. I and I think something more simple like the piano. Because the piano is, is going to play in kind of that, that nice 8-beat or, or 16-beat phrase, that loop. And you can just go to the, you know, salsabeatmachine.org, click on the piano and hear it. And you can tell your student, look, when this phrase repeats, it's marking the one. One. And so that's much easier to clue into. And so as soon as you give people a couple tips on, on what can they focus on, all of a sudden they're, they're easier to kind of find that beat and then find the one, you know, because the first step is just like, hey, do I know where the beat is and I'm not just going like this? And then can I identify which one of those beats is the one? What do you think are the elements, like I was wondering, because let's say you, gr you get a group of, uh, of students that are beginners and some of them right off the bat are on beat and others, mm -hmm. even after, let's say, six Uh, classes or I don't know two session of 20 classes they're still struggling for that do you do do you attribute that to something in their like I'm, I'm wondering like 
not to go against the fact that everybody can learn something. I'm just thinking it's just like a what makes somebody on beat right off the bat? Is there a musical knowledge? Is it just perception of time? What do you think? Yeah, well, that's a great question. And I think it, it goes back to, you know, the, the first question you asked, and I didn't address this because you're talking like about in-person classes right now, being a teacher, teaching a group of students. And like you're saying, everyone's at different levels. Some people might have a musical background. Some people might have danced before. Uh, there's going to be people, people in the class that have never listened to music before and never danced before. And they're trying to take this step in and get uncomfortable and push their comfort zone and do something new. So mm. everyone's at a different level. So how do, you, how do you manage that as a teacher? That's very difficult. I have less experience doing that in a salsa context in person with a big group of students. And that's one of the reasons why I really like the online lessons. And so that's why I started the Dance Dojo is because not everyone's getting what they need in the moment in the salsa class. Because there's one mm. teacher and, I don't know, 20, 30, 40 students. Who knows? Depends how big the room is. And so not everyone can get what they need in that moment. And as a teacher, you might be able to give each person what they need. But to give everyone what they need in the same moment is, is that, that challenge of having that physical space and, and limited time. So what I... The, re the way I solved that problem is, is creating a tool online so someone can come home after salsa class and be like, I can't find the beat um, or I'm struggling with that. And so they can just click play on YouTube and, and watch the series of videos. So I think there's certain things that can be done well in a class setting and other things that work better in kind of like a supplementary context, like coming home, practicing online, doing it by myself. because. A lot of people are going to be uncomfortable when they're when they're being watched, especially when they're they're doing something new and they're not getting it right away, right? So yeah, if you get yeah, it right yeah. away, you're going to be confident. You're going to be the star of the class. You feel great. Mm. If you're not the one that's getting it right away, you're going to feel really self conscious and be like, "Oh, this isn't for me. I don't know how to do it." But then if you give them this tool that they can just go home and dig in, because a lot of these people might be introverts as well, then they can up their understanding. And as soon as they start to understand, then their confidence comes up and then they're going to show up to the class and be like, hey, like, I kind of know how to do this now. And they're going to feel more comfortable. So sometimes class is great. Sometimes being at home alone or just being online is the way to do it. So it's a bit of a mix. And I think both are great. Do you have uh, like you speak like, uh, like somebody that 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 they've been studying how to teach? Do you have any education background or interest in that? Uh, where does that come from? That's a good question. So I don't have any formal education in teaching, but when I was in like grade one, uh, I was like good at math and numbers in school and stuff. So I remember like helping my, my friends with, you know, coursework right away, especially math. And so through my life, I've always had a love for being a student. I like learning. And then the things that I learned, I love to share that with other people. And I guess it's probably just a little bit of, of my nature, like how I was born, like the kind of personality I am. So I'm, I'm introverted, so I'm going to listen more than I speak most of the time. And I guess that's kind of given me a bit of a, an, an empathy or a gift of empathy. So I'm more easily to pick out, I listen to someone and say, this is the part that they're not understanding. How can I give them that little nugget that's going to get them to the next level of understanding so that they can get further on their journey? And so... I guess I've done that with, with schoolwork. Sorry. <laughs> nice cat. That's no, okay. <laughs> Sorry, uh, I, I, I kind of did that with school. And then uh, I was a, a competitive diver 
from nice. 10 years until 15 years old. Are you serious? I actually went, I went to Montreal when I was diving as well. No <laughs> way, no way. That's awesome. Yeah, so I was a diver and then I was a dive coach for five years. And wow. then I quit diving when I was 15 um, and I decided why? I don't want to break dance. Why? why? Uh, what, what made the switch? So I was training five days a week, three hours a day, plus weights on some days. So that was a lot of time. And I was getting a, I had a thumb injury because I was diving from the 10 meter platform. And if you don't enter the water with completely, <laughs> yes, completely straight arms, you can sometimes hit yourself in the head with your hand. Oh my God. And oh my God. Oh, I can't just imagine. Oh. It's not fun. No, I, you're hitting the water at like 33 kilometers an hour. So that's like, like hitting your thumb on a brick. Like it hurts. I mean, your head's oh pretty hard. God. So I did that too many times and I had this thumb brace and you know, naturally in like elite level competition or, or training, like your coaches are not always so empathetic in terms of time off and give you time to rest. So my thumb started to really hurt. It got to a point where I wasn't enjoying myself. And the next year, it wasn't just going to be five times a week, the training, it was going to be six times a week, twice a day. Like, Hey, we're going for the Olympics sort of thing. Jesus. And as a 15, 16 year old, I wasn't enjoying myself. I was like, you know what? I'm enjoying this breakdance thing that I've been, been doing for a while. Like I just want to have fun with my friends. So now, I now this, 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 uh, this intense training, uh, do you feel that is just too much for any kind of human like i always hear uh, stories where there's a lot of pressure and uh, like at, at some point to get to the elite level it's like you're almost sacrificing your body for the for the for the sport <laughs> or something like that do you feel that it's actually unhealthy at the end of the day physically and mentally or or there's something to it am i missing something uh <clears throat> i think there's certain approaches that are better than others Um, and every coach is going to kind of have their specialty, but like, it doesn't matter what sort of elite level training you're doing. It's going to push you to your limit and then beyond that, because you need to keep expanding what you're capable of. Right. And yeah. so that's actually an important takeaway from elite level training is you have to always be at the edge of your comfort zone and be pushing that mm -hmm. because even as a salsa dancer, if you're not doing that, you're either going to improve super slowly or you're not going to improve at all. And so yeah. it's really important to work on the edge of the comfort zone and, and constantly be pushing it. Um, do I think it's unhealthy? No, I think they're just like any way of doing something. There's kind of more healthy ways and there's like, let's call them toxic ways. That's the word everyone but, but I mean, to use But I mean, you, you were at the extreme of, of training, like there's mm -hmm. training and there's trainings, like there's, yeah. there's recreation competition and then there's the Olympics. Like it's like another level of, yeah. of, uh, sacrifice and then performance becomes the focus right mm -hmm. so do you think like exactly like you, you said maybe the coaches weren't as uh, understanding i think your... it's a bit of a bit of everything so for me i decided look my love for this was kind of dying what i really enjoyed from it was like the physical challenge i love doing acrobatics you know seeing if mm. i could figure these things out and then executing them well i like challenges and i like i realized i like to work hard so it taught me how to train And is it demanding? Absolutely. If you're a person who likes to challenge yourself, it's great. If you're competitive, it's great. If you're not a competitive person, whether like in group team sports or against yourself, you probably won't enjoy it. So you'd probably never get to that level. So it's going to, uh, it's going to pick out the people who really Got excel it. at doing Got that. It. Makes sense. And then yes, you do have to make sacrifices because you're training every day instead of playing with your friends. So. Got it. Got it. Yeah. And and the switch from. To b-boying, did you approach b-boying the same way you were training as a diver? That was funny because I have this like distinct memory of like 
when you're when you're in your dive training, like I wasn't quite to the point where we were getting super specific with nutrition, but it was like, hey, like you should take care of your body, da da da. And so like before a, a, a you know a, an event the next day, like hey, like eat something nice, like don't go crazy. And I remember starting to break down. It's like, oh, I can just chill with my friends and eat pizza before the battle, like. Like, we, it doesn't matter, you know? Like, there's no rules. You had no coach. You could do whatever you wanted. And that was part of the, the beauty, the freedom. Yeah. It was like, I didn't have the trainer anymore, and Got I could it. just be. And that was the attractiveness of but that were you switch. were you training as hard? Like, did you have that mindset of, uh, like, a Olympic uh, trainer guy? Or you just literally, uh, like, how shall I say this? You took it more like, now it's we're having fun. We're more laid back, less pressure. Did you change your mindset right away or no? That's a good question. I think I had the discipline from, from diving and training, and, but I wouldn't say I, I kept that level of training because it was, it was a lot. Um, but what I tried to do is, they, you know, we had some like group practices at community centers yeah. like once or twice a week, so I'd go there. But then I was also really lucky. My, in my mom's place, we had like a kind of a basement area, like carpeted. So we, we grabbed these mirrors from her old office and yeah. just put them against the wall. So I kind of had this mini studio. It was a carpeted floor, but it's still better than nothing. So I'd, I'd go down there most days and, and just be by myself in front of a mirror and mess around and film myself. And that's when I really started to level up. And actually, this is a good parallel to, to salsa, is that that was when I actually learned how to dance. Because a lot of b-boys, a lot of b-girls, break dancers, they're, they're all about the moves, they're all about the, the power moves, learning tricks, and they suck at dancing. If you put on a song and you're like, hey, just chill and groove to this music, a lot of them suck at that. And so at that moment, I had actually watched some, some dancers that were really much better than us, um, that I really looked up to, Massive Monkeys from, from Seattle. They're, they're a famous b-boy uh, crew. And I watched them and said, what, what do they have that I don't? And I'm like, they have this character, they have this feeling, they know how to dance. And I was like, mm -hmm. okay, I need to learn how to dance. And so I'd go down into the basement every day in front of the mirrors and just like start figuring it out. And when you just dance on your feet in, in breaking, it's called top rocking. So I would just top rock dance on my feet, no tricks, no nothing on the ground, and just spending hours in front of the mirror. And, and this is the same thing in salsa, is like, you're here and you wanna get here. So you feel really good when you dance, but you look terrible. That's how everyone starts, okay? Or maybe you, you feel terrible and you look terrible. But then eventually you're like, oh, this kind of feels good, but it looks bad. And you want to get to the point where everything feels good and looks good. But to close that gap, you have to get the visual feedback from the mirror or filming yourself. So what feels good eventually also looks good. Mm. And that just comes with repetitions in front of the mirror, in front of a camera. So you can be like, oh, like that felt good, but hey, it kind of looked weird. So I want to take that feeling that I had and just adjust how it actually looked or how I'm executing it's, it. It's interesting. So it matches. You, you start from a feeling point, right? Mm -hmm. That's very interesting that you start how it feels or it should feel. How, like let's say you, you, you do something, it feels good. Then you film yourself and you, you look at it and he goes, damn, man, I was yeah. drunk. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, no, I'm I just mean it's happened to all of us. It's so, happened to all but, of us for but, sure. It, it was odd because I had a teacher that used to say, don't, it was an African dance teacher. He said, I hate working with mirrors. And I'm like, mm. I'm coming from the salsa world, right? So I'm like, mirrors, we only know mirrors. And he goes, no, mm -hmm. it, it makes people feel too subconscious. I want them to let loose and and dance their heart out i'm thinking wow okay i never never even that, that thought crossed my mind that people will 
constrict in front of mirrors. Mm-hmm. And I started to, when, when, not, now I don't train any troops, but before I was training troops, I used to spin them around all the time just so they don't get attached to the, to the room, right? So sometimes mm-hmm. do it in front of a mirror, sometimes at the back of a mirror. And it's, it's odd how different somebody might dance if he watches himself, if he's self-critical. It all depends how you use information, right? So if you're looking mm-hmm. at yourself, you know, he's like, oh, I'm not looking good at it. And at the same time, you're dance, dance that kind of attitude. Mm-hmm. Then the, the coach will look at you and go, listen, relax, breathe extend your motions and stuff like that but it's very interesting that you start from a feeling and then you video and then you're trying to accomplish i guess with some kind of a method to to look Mm -hmm. the part right and what do you do with how how should i say this so what do you do if somebody is is self-critical like that like he's he can't use the information properly like i i dealt with that so many times and every mm-hmm. time is a bit different how I approach the person to mellow her out. How would you deal with that? Yeah, I, I think it's a really cool question because it's important. And I think it depends on the person's level. Because like you said, at first, they're going to be probably uncomfortable. They have no confidence. They don't know what, really know what they're doing. So you don't want to encourage them to be self-critical too quickly, right? Yeah, you're right. And this reminds me of this. this I love this example. Um, I, I used to well, I still follow this girl named Amber Ray, and I did a mastermind group with her actually. And she's this artist, she's a writer, and she, she brought up these, these two personalities, or there's a couple more, but these two are important in this context. What is, what is master the, what? What did you say? A mastermind group. What, what is that? Uh, it's kind of like a group where everyone's coming together and focusing on um, a certain topic. So it could be a mastermind around business, improving your business, or you know, this was a creative entrepreneurs. And so, she, she talked about this, this artist role and this editor role, and they're both important, but you have to know when to be each one. So for the beginners, I think it's really good, you know, especially if someone's like, I don't want to move, I'm uncomfortable, like, I, I didn't grow up with music or dance. Like, at first, they don't need a mirror. Like, you just want to get that person moving, like, literally just, like, shake their body and, like, make them do weird stuff so that they stop being afraid to actually just move. Like they don't need to move correctly in any way. Just move your body so you stop being afraid of moving your body. And so you're in the artist role. You're not, you're not critiquing, you're just creating. You're just being weird, that's fine. And then there comes a point where it's important now, I have to edit what the artist created mm. and start thinking like, hey, is that really how I wanna move? Is that our goal? Is that my goal? Mm. And so I think if someone's afraid to move, take away the mirrors, get them moving, like literally just shaking. It doesn't even have to be like some sort of, get them moving. And then after they got rid of that fear, then we're like, okay, let's change how we're moving now. Let's edit that. Um, And so that, that I guess would be my best response. Very good point. Very good point. I think it's, uh, it's key. It's to, to tailor the intervention. Mm -hmm. And also if the mirror is a stopper at that point, especially at the beginner level, just to get him moving and just get him moving for crying out loud. Just move. Yeah. Uh, I had um, I, w- I wanted to start with this question and then uh, we went into other interesting topics. But as soon as I saw that you're living in Medellin, is this the Pablo Escobar Medellin? Yeah, Medellin is where Pablo Escobar is from. Okay, so, but so it is so much more than Pablo. I, I, I don't want to reduce it to that <laughs> because I'm just a big yeah. fan of the series and I, I made a couple of spoof mm-hmm. with that. But I wanted to know, first, first of all, uh, what do you do? Like, what's your, your, main, your, your main gig over there? And also, mm-hmm. what brought you there? You, you came from Toronto, correct? Uh, I'm actually from Victoria, Canada, and then Victoria. moved to Vancouver. 
Um, Got it. But yeah. Yep. And so you went to, uh, I don't know why I was thinking Toronto. So Vancouver, and then from Vancouver, you went to Medellin. Yeah. And you've been living there for how, how many years? It's kind of been on and off since 2017. So it's like three and a half years total. Been bouncing what? around South America. And uh, what's bringing you in that region? <clears throat> so I was, I was at like a really low point in my life before I came here. Um, so I was, I was going through my life and analyzing like, what were my highs? What were my lows? And one of those highs was during university. And I went to Singapore on an exchange. There was mm. like 300 exchange students from all over the world. I was traveling. It was awesome. One of the things I realized when I was there is the Europeans all spoke like four or five languages and I felt really stupid. So I told myself, hey, Robin, when you go home, you're learning a second language and that's that. And I had taken like two Spanish classes in high school, which erased all the French that I learned as, as a child, because in Canada, we have to learn French. But because mm. I'm from the West, you're from the French part. So yeah. you speak French, obviously. Yeah. Um, my French was erased. And so I had that Spanish and I liked the way Spanish sounds. So I started learning Spanish. And I was like, okay, uh, I'm not enjoying the relationship where I'm in right now. I'm not enjoying my job. And my mom was also sick with cancer. So there's just like all these different sides of my life, like in a, in a low point. So I said, what do I really want to do? How can I recreate this high of being a, in a different spot in the world and, and this sort of exchange experience I had? So I said, okay, well, I'm learning Spanish. So hmm, maybe South America. I don't know South America. Where am I going to go? I asked people, what are your favorite countries? Everyone told me Colombia and Brazil. Colombia speaks Spanish. Brazil, Brazil speaks Portuguese. So, okay, I'm going to go to Colombia. And so after I... <laughs> quit my job, I quit my relationship. Uh, eventually, sadly, my mom passed away in 2016. Um, that was the last thing that was kind of holding me in Canada. And it's like, okay, it's time to go. So I flew down to uh, Colombia and I ran around the country, traveled. Uh, I really loved it. And so in 2017, I decided to move to Medellin. And what was so beautiful about this experience was it gave me the opportunity to focus on Dance Dojo. So that is the thing that I do full time. It's the online lessons at thedancedojo.com. And before I'd come to Colombia, I wasn't making enough money. Like I wasn't earning enough money from that project. So I had to work another job. But what you, what you probably know is when you work another job and you have your, your, your passion, your love on the side, you can't give it the energy it needs to, to flourish. So when I came here, the cost of living was lower. I had all my free time. And so it gave me that space to really focus on the dance dojo. And I was able to grow it to the point where I'm, I'm comfortable now and I can, I can live off it. And, and so that's what I'm doing full time. Man, good for you. Bravo. Yeah. Really, Thank really you. nice. Because it's not, trust me, that. I, I can completely feel how <clears throat> not easy it is to, to, to rev up an online project. As, as I tried in French, you know, it's, it's a lot of work. You know, during the pandemic, yeah. I did a little French site. Mm -hmm. Man, it's a lot of work. If people think you, they're going to flock like a gold rush, no way, Jose. No, that's On not how it works. <laughs> <laughs> Entrepreneurship is hard. Yes. Oh my God, my God. We, we have to love it or else we would be doing something else. And exactly. so right now it's your full-time thing in Medellin. And you said on and off. You mean you traveled uh, the continent? How, how, how what did you do? <laughs> yeah, so this is like me trying to figure out what I want to do with my life. So I, mm -hmm. I came to Medellin in 2017 for four months. Got it. And I was living with my best friend at the time. And after four months, it was like, okay, like, I kind of lived here. It was summer in Canada. So I was like, this is the best time to go home and visit. So I went back to, to Canada, visited for the summer. And I didn't really have a life plan. So I was like, okay, well, I guess I'll stick around to have a, an apartment in Vancouver for a while. And then uh, the friend that I was living with here in Medellin came and visited me in Vancouver. This would have been like fall um, of 2017. And he's like, hey, like, it's 
winter, like, let's, let's get out of here, let's go back. And so I came back in late 2017 and 2018 for eight months. And then after those eight months, it's like, okay, like, I love Medellin, my Spanish is getting better, I feel super comfortable, like, it's easily my second home, I love it here. And I love Colombia, but like, what else is out there in South America? Like, I wanted to get to know some other countries. So when I was actually in, in Canada the, the year before, I'd met a girl from Chile. And so she was going to be going back to Chile. So I said like, hey, like, are you going back to Chile? She's like, yeah, like, come stay with me and my mom. So I went down to Chile and lived there for six months. And actually, it, it was a really interesting experience. It felt kind of like a Latino Canada because the landscapes are really similar. The mountains, rivers, like mm. super beautiful and much more developed um, in terms of education and all these things. So it felt way different than Colombia, especially not being around the Caribbean. Like a lot of people imagine Latin America, I think, to be that Caribbean vibe, you know, Mexico, Cuba, you know, Colombia. And then when you go to the south, whether it's to like Chile or Argentina, it's much more European. It's going to be different, but more similar to a place like Canada, I'd say. And so I liked it and I, I had to actually travel a lot. So I went up to Mexico and then Costa Rica for some friends' 30th birthdays. And so when I came back to, to Chile, they're like, what are you doing here? Like, do you have a job? Do you live in Canada? Like, I'm like, uh, I'm, yes, I work in Canada. Uh, I'm not working here. And they're like, do you have an exit ticket? No, I'm going to catch a bus to Mendoza in Argentina. And of course, you don't buy bus tickets like six months in advance. So they're like, how long are you staying here? And I said, 90 days, because that was the maximum. And this lady just kept shaking her head. <laughs> and I was like, it's not easy to get into like Colombia. It's kind of more like Canada, like where they're, they're questioning you. Why are you here? And so I was like, man, like I can't stay here. I have to go somewhere else. So I was like, oh, do I go back to Colombia? Because I was, I was missing this, this vibe, this Colombian vibe, the music, the dance, this culture mm. that I'm, I'm in love with. And I said, where, can I, where else can I find that? Venezuela, <clears throat> not a good option at the moment. Brazil. I said, hmm, maybe I should find out why everyone loves Rio. And it, it felt like starting from zero because I don't speak Portuguese. But I was like, hell, screw it. I'm going to figure out why everyone loves Rio. I went to Rio for three months, That's absolutely awesome. loved it because I grew up near the ocean and Medellin doesn't have an ocean. So it's so beautiful. Rio de Janeiro, like I 100% recommend it. If anyone's going on holiday or is a digital nomad, it's a beautiful city. Um, and Portuguese is also, if you have some Spanish or French, you can mm. learn it pretty quickly. So that was awesome. Wow. And, and do you, do you, are you still... Uh, I should say this. Do you feel at home in some places, or you 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 you, you look at yourself as being a nomad, or you're looking that, for a home? That's a great no? question because before I left Canada, I had this in my mind. I, I had traveled and I lived in Singapore for that semester of school. I was like, can I live live overseas and be happy? Because I think most people, when they're born in a place, they assume they're going to live there forever. And I think that was more common in our parents' generation. Now that's yeah. kind of changing, yeah. but. Um, so that was the question, like, can I live somewhere else and be happy? And I came down to Colombia and the answer is yes. Like you, once you get comfortable in a place, you learn the culture, you learn the language, learning the language is important. Yeah. Um, the key there is once you kind of get comfortable, you need to surround yourself with some good people. Once you find good people, you can feel at home anywhere. If you don't find some good people, you're going to be homesick. You're going to feel like you don't have any friends because like you need to feel that closeness um, with people. And so, yeah, the answer is absolutely. And so am I a nomad? I don't consider myself 
so much of a digital nomad. I mean, compared to someone who always lives in Canada, I guess, yes. But I meet a lot of digital nomads who move from place to place like every month or every few weeks. And to me, that's Mm. totally exhausting because like I've done that, but like every three months or every six months, like chunks at a time, like slower traveling. And I love that now because then you can have a base, you can make some friends, you can learn the language, but then you, because you're in a new place, you can just kind of go off to all these cool destinations nearby. And I feel like that's a much more enriched enriched experience because I see all these people bouncing from country to country, but they don't actually see or get to know anything about those countries other than a couple touristy spots. And right. for me, that's not my, my ideal. So I've, I've enjoyed this way of kind of. How's, how's the, uh, are you involved in the salsa scene in any way <clears throat> in your part of the world? So my challenge has been, <clears throat> and maybe this is a segue to something you want to talk about, I'm not sure. Um, my hip. So I have some arthritis in my hip and there's a longer story to that. So for the last few years before the pandemic, it really started to hurt me. And that's when I moved down here the, the last time. So it was beginning of January, 2020, right before the pandemic, moved back to Medellin, was only going to stay three months. Pandemic happened, still here. Medellin's like home now. So I haven't danced for like two or three years because it just started, my hip started to hurt too much. And so that emotionally hurts like because that already happened to me for break dancing because i had to quit breaking because not because i wanted to but because i had a hip surgery and my hip wasn't strong enough to, mm. to dance anymore so that's how actually how i found salsa is like i need to fill that gap with something else with yeah. a little bit more calm um and so i found salsa and so yes now i'm i'm involved in the community but kind of in a, a not not in like i don't know a high very integrated level <clears throat> i know people here i go to classes um, I'm not teaching, um, but now I'm starting to dance again. So I put, I recently put out a video on YouTube. It was like, Hey, I'm back. My hip's feeling better. So I'm being able to dance again. This is what's been happening. And so, um, I'm just a casual level. I go to socials, I go to classes. I know some people, but yeah, I'm not doing events or teaching or anything like do, that. You still, do you still have pain? You still carry pain with you or is it resolved? Yeah. So to give people, the listeners, a bit of a background, when I was like, 18, 19, I had a whole lot of tension in my hip flexors and my glutes and it felt muscular and I didn't know what was going on. And this is actually a really common problem for a lot of athletes, a lot of dancers. So this might help you, some of you. And so I, I tried every therapy under the sun, physio, acupuncture, uh, hot yoga, normal yoga, uh, anything you can imagine for like two or three years, nothing helped. I just kept having this pain. I could stretch for half an hour. I'd get up, I'm stiff again. And so I don't know why, but it took about a couple of years before a specialist said like, hey, you should get an x-ray. So if you're having this chronic pain, get an x-ray, get an MRI and get that as soon as possible, because then you can actually see what's happening. And so this x-ray showed that, hey, like you have a hip impingement. And what does that mean? So you have your hip joint, like you have your pelvis here and your, your hips rotate in that, that socket, right? So what mm-hmm. it means is my, my impingement, I had extra bone on the head of my femur. So your femur should look like this, like the, the head should be nice and round and the neck should be skinny so that you can rotate and it doesn't, it doesn't bump. But I had extra bone here, so every time I lifted my knees, it went bump, 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 mm. destroying the cartilage. And mm. so when I finally got the surgery to remove that bone, the surgeon said like, hey, you're probably gonna get arthritis. 10 years later, here I am. I have grade four osteoarthritis, which means I now have osteophytes back on the head of my femur. And every time I lift my knee, it's rubbing the cartilage. I almost have bone on bone. There's almost no cartilage. So I have to replace this hip. And so, it's both um, hips or just one side? Just one side. I've had a preservation surgery on the other one, so it doesn't happen. Uh, actually, 
recently, a couple months ago, because wow. I'm always worrying about one hip. And so I asked the doctor like, hey, maybe we should take a look at the other one just to make sure that it doesn't happen again. So we fixed that one. It should be good for the rest of my life, but I do have to replace this other side. And so I found that out last year. And since then, I've, I've been doing physiotherapy for a few years, but I thought my situation had been resolved. I thought that bone was gone and the movement was normal. I got the x-ray again and the MRI last year and they're like, hey, wow, this is, <laughs> your hip is fucked. <laughs> like you actually have bumps and, and, and bone there. So mm. I went back to physio. I, I worked super hard. I finally found a physio team that was re really good and I've strengthened my hip now. So when I walk, it doesn't hurt. When I dance, it's, I can dance for a couple hours. It doesn't hurt. But what the problem is, is when you have a chronic injury or an unstable joint for a long period of time, you develop compensations in the rest of your body because your body is always looking for symmetry. So if there's not symmetry or not strength in one side, you know, your right hip, you're going to start having these compensations in your left shoulder and your, your spine's going to twist. So to do, undo all of that, it's very difficult. So advice to everyone, if, if you're having chronic pain, get, get x-rays, get MRIs right away so the specialist can tell you actually what's and see what's going on inside. And then try and not let these, like, don't let it go on so long that these compensations start happening because undoing them is very difficult. Just like learning poor salsa basics and poor salsa technique is much harder to undo. So you want to try and get it right from the start and identify problems early in your health, in your salsa. <laughs> you actually included salsa in the medical advice. My man. <laughs> <laughs> Just doing my part. Just doing my part. <laughs> All right. So, um... I, I listen. I I really hope that you 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 resolve this because I know how when you get injured how screwed up it is and how emotionally intense it could be. You know, I I I, I practice uh, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu for now eight years, Oof. and once my I'm, neck went like I have a double herniated disc in my neck, oh. had to stop almost eight months and yeah. postural exercises. I couldn't barely do a right turn. Like I had to keep my neck like this. If you touch my, 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 mm -hmm. my what's it called? Uh, chin? I think chin, I had the French word in my head. <laughs> so you touch my chin, I would, it would send shocks into my arm. So I, I, I feel you like, it, and it, it's so uh, discouraging at times. It's so, you know, everything, it's like we take our body for granted. Let's just say how it is. You know, you were like, everything's fine. And then boom, your little finger goes, goes off and that's it. it. It's like, it stops you in your tracks. You can't, you can't eat, you know? It's yeah, like, yeah. What yeah. Yeah. You, you sneeze and your spine falls apart. Exactly. Exactly. I yeah. used to sneeze like this because when I would <laughs> sneeze like this, it would uh -huh. stop the air and just create massive pain in my neck. So I had to sneeze with my throat open, sneeze in the air. So I'm oh, thinking, man, man, I hope, like, I just hope, like, because, uh, like, dancing, like, I shouldn't say salsa is low impact, but Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, I'm starting to roll like an old man. So whenever the guy got my neck, I'm tapping. He goes, I didn't do anything. Yeah, you, you had my neck. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You, just, salute, you just went salute. like this. You, yeah. you touched the vertebrae. <laughs> okay. But, hey, listen, I wanted to get in, uh, of course, uh, a bit of YouTube. Mm -hmm. Because you've been on, on YouTube for quite a while and you, and you accelerated the pace uh, the last year or two. And uh, I, I want to know first, uh, what made you want to start YouTube at, at first, even like considering opening a channel? <clears throat> what was your mindset? And mm -hmm. also, what's your creation process? How do you go about creating content? Interesting question. So 
why YouTube or why did I start YouTube? So Dance Dojo like was launched in 2014 and back then I was way too nervous to actually put my face on YouTube. So what I was doing was I was just taking all the demo videos of our, our lessons of Patrick and Scarlett and putting those on YouTube. So very mm. passive, nothing super interesting, just a demo, not really instruction. Mm. And so, you know, we, we grew our following, but very slowly it was nothing like this because the videos weren't interesting. And at, at the same time, from a business perspective, I was realizing that everyone thought Dance Dojo was Patrick and Scarlett's business, which is okay on some levels. But when you're, when you're trying to grow it, you, it's really important, especially these days, to be the face of the business so that there's a person and someone. And if I wanted to grow that business, I realized, look, I need to put my face in front of the camera. I need to stop being behind the curtain and you know, putting in my ideas here and there. It's like, it's gotta be, hey, this is Robin, this is what we created. Um, I, I brought in these amazing teachers, but I have opinions and, and thoughts as well. And I can share those with you because mm. those teachers are usually busy like all the time. And so they don't have any time to do these videos. So I, I got to this point where it's like, okay, I want to grow this, this project. I want to help more people. How can I do that? I have to go outside of my comfort zone. And so I have to take my learning, but then start sharing with people. And so I decided to get in front of the camera and actually it was my best friend here in Medellin. His name is Miles and he had an Amazon business and he started a, a YouTube channel to start teaching people how to run Amazon businesses. And so he did it a few months before me. And so he really helped like inspire me. Um, and, and so then I started and I started with the Finding the Beat series because I just wanted like a little project to like help me get started. And, and that went well. And so why I started on YouTube from a business perspective is you can only control or you can only focus on what you can control. I can't control the time and that other instructors can dedicate because this is my project. So I can control my time. So I'm going to do what I can to push the business forward. And that is create videos, lift awareness, increase marketing so that people find out what is the dance dojo, salsa, how do we dance salsa? And they're like, oh, I want to learn more. Go to the website. You can try the courses. And so that was kind of the, the business side of it. And then the salsa side of it, like how did I start going about creating content was I asked myself, like, what are the things that I wish people were talking about more? So when I was a student, what did I wish that the teachers would have told me? Um, and then also a lot of people would write in and say like, hey, like they had questions. So I just started asking, like, what are the, the most frequent questions, frequently asked questions? And that, that's the starting point. And I think that's a great starting point for anyone, but it's not even the starting point. It's the, you know what are the questions students are always asking? Like, let's, let's dig in and answer those questions. And, and then that builds um, trust because you're helping people along. And when you start developing that relationship with people, um, then they're like, okay, well, what else do you have? And so from a business perspective, that's also very helpful. Well, how do you balance, um, or do you ever um, balance in your head something you want to do? Like something like this, okay, I want to do it almost like a gift for yourself versus mm -hmm. answering a need of a client because i always wrestled with that idea and and sometimes i would like i did an experiment i did a video that i wanted to do forever like forever mm -hmm. like a spoof on 80s fitness it has nothing to do with <laughs> salsa i wanted to do it yeah, I that was I the video that. That, it, it took me ages to do it took me maybe between 30 around 30 hours all in all i scripted it i practiced it uh, I did everything like I, I, the maximum. This was more like mm -hmm. a thing that I had in my head. It, yep. it wasn't. There was no correlation with the amount of work and how it, well it did. It did not do well. 
Now, mm -hmm. regardless if it was appropriate for my channel or not, that's another disqu discussion. But uh -huh. <laughs> I always, it, it's hard for me to balance both because I have many flashes in my head. I'm thinking, okay, I, I want to do this, but maybe it's good, maybe it's not good. And for me, YouTube was um, uh, almost like a therapy of me mm -hmm. excluding myself, not uh, uh, taking the, the, the metrics too personal. Because at mm -hmm. some point and during the pandemic, when I was uh, very mentally stable, I was looking at the metrics and I think, oh, what the <laughs> fuck? And I was, I was losing my mind uh, sometimes. Because yeah, yeah, I remember yeah. in, in two, I don't know if you had that with your channel. I'm just really curious. In 220, as soon as the pandemic started, my channel took a dip. And everybody was saying, no, people are going to be uh, interested by videos and stuff like that. And then my wife said to me, well, I don't watch videos no more. I can't go dancing. Like mm -hmm. I used to watch videos, now I don't watch them because usually I just watch mm -hmm. for inspiration before going to a social and she's an amazing dancer. Yeah. But now I have no no interest to do it. I don't know if there was a link or did you ever see that in your channel also or no? Yeah, so very similar thing happened f before COVID. So actually I had just started doing the YouTube videos in November, December before COVID. So what was happening was the channel was starting to grow Mm -hmm. And then, and then kind of like this COVID thing started to happen and everyone's like, oh my God, like I need to do something online. Like, like they're going crazy for just like, they don't want to be bored. And so everything like the, the YouTube, the sales, it kind of just went like, mm -hmm. this is like March, April. Mm -hmm. And then just like exactly what you said, like a, like a straight down crash to like yeah. the lowest, you know, views, um, sales from like three, three, four years ago when the business was smaller. And the, obviously that's heartbreaking um, because one, we're like, well, we're doing stuff online, but it's a partner dance and there's no more parties. And so people were just like defeated. Me and you were defeated because we're trying to push people forward, trying to push the businesses forward, trying to help people learn salsa. But the, the dancers were just like, I don't think I'm ever going to dance again. Yeah, and so that's true. exactly what happened. And then slowly, I, of course, it's recovered. But I'm feeling, I'm feeling right now, And, and, and it's, it's probably very encouraging for, for, for all of us. Right mm -hmm. now, the demand, the demand for classes hasn't ever been that high, like ever in my 20 years, ever. I'm like, I'm floored. I'm thinking I have waiting lists. I never had waiting lists before. Like it's crazy. Oh. Something like, they, they, like somebody, you know, like hibernating. <laughs> they just woke I mean, up. I want to yeah, dance yeah, with yeah. people. So I'm really totally. happy. So I, I think that it, it, we're, we're on the sunny side of things uh, for a business, right? So I'm pretty happy yeah. about that. I wanted to ask I'm, you also. I'm, I'm stoked for you. I can't say how happy that makes me feel because I've never actually had like a studio. So mm. that, that's even another level of pressure. You, you have rent, you know, you, you have this place to maintain. So I'm, I'm super happy for all the teachers that are, are having their classes fill up again. Like, No, for sure. And, and, and our, uh, our, or your business, my online business, my YouTube channel, my in-person business, we're all interconnected in that way. As much more people we get, the more people dance, regardless of which school, the better mm -hmm. all of our uh, reach and intentions will get accomplished because the pandemic was murder like literally murder we we are basically selling like you said a dance that needs to dance with somebody everybody's isolated at home and we have the best vehicle for covid <laughs> it's like we we dance together at one mm -hmm. foot apart sweating our eyes you know it's like we have yeah. the best vehicle for covid it's like how can you reconcile these things you know and i'm happy that yeah. people kind of mellowed out with the freaking kind of 
fear or I don't know what you call it that people understood yep. it wasn't as bad as it was portrayed at the first year and granted nobody knew you know nobody knew people were scared that I understand like we were actually mm -hmm. washing our 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 groceries and Amazon mm -hmm. boxes the first month mm -hmm. in Canada at some point you would get a ticket if you would go outside after eight like I'm thinking I, outside you should have been in Medellin. It was you worse. Leave, you could leave the house twice a week to go get groceries, and you couldn't leave the house besides that. And the Colombians, I don't know if you know, if you've been to Latin America, specific Colombia, they are, they're cleaners. People are spraying everything with bleach. And so I think this is probably more detrimental to the health than COVID. Everyone's spraying <laughs> the food with bleach, the air with bleach. There, you, had to, you had to put your shoes in puddles of I don't know what cleaner, To enter stores and I'm like why are we cleaning our right. shoes like are, am I gonna lick the shoe like for me it was like crazy like I was afraid at first but then it's like hey guys like after a while it's like you can't you can't take out all the risk from life at well some said. point you do have to keep living and yeah. there's just risks and some bodies are gonna are gonna be able to fight against the virus and some aren't and it, it's not about the fact that you don't care about those people But like life does go on. And so it, it's a hard balance and I understand, but yeah. It's, it's the, I, I like the <laughs> idea of you can't take the risk out of life. And also I like the idea of you mitigate your own risk. Like at mm -hmm. some point in time, it was very, I will mitigate your risks. Like I'm, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm on to you. And that kind yeah. of attitude always bothered me, always. I'm thinking, okay, sure. so let's say you think you, you might contaminate or you're scared or you um, you feel that you're you have elderly parents so then behave that way behave in a conservative mm -hmm. way but what does it have to do with the the dude across the street like why yeah, would yeah. i go out of my way and say yo buddy you get in your house i don't care mm -hmm. do whatever yeah, you want yeah. and that mm -hmm. social pressure i would i would and and i was put in a position also to police my clients which i hated yeah. i said to my wife i goes i don't want to be that oh, guy yeah. I'm yeah. a let live and let live kind of guy. Like you do your mm -hmm. business. I'm happy for you. I do my business. I'm, now I have to say to client, hey, listen, your mask, put it up, you know? Yeah. I'm like, oh, jeez, I'm glad we're not doing that anymore. Horrible yeah, it's times. Absolutely. It's difficult when the government gets involved. And the silver lining of all of this um, is that it took more things virtual. It took things more online. So people that weren't exploring online education were now exploring it. And, you know, especially in, in learning anything, and especially learning how to dance, there's, there's a time and place for class. And I think there's so much that like an online learning environment can give you. For example, you know, you're, you're giving a good class in Montreal, but like I'm at this level. And so I'm just looking for the little piece of information that you're sharing in this class that's going to help me get to the next level. And everything mm. else went in one ear and out the other ear. And I'm never going to hear a class again. But if that class is recorded and those moves you taught or that sequence you taught is recorded, I can go back anytime, watch it slow, absorb it all. And so having that reference material, knowing the names of moves, it, it really expands your understanding and deepens your awareness of everything. So you can just go, go to these parties, have more fun, excel faster in your classes. Like they go, they go together perfectly. It's not like, oh, I don't go to class. I just learn online. They're, they're compliments. My, my, I asked my student what he thought because it was a, a, a student that had been a member of my site for a very long time. And I asked him what he thought about, just what he thought about being a member of that site because I have no, mm -hmm. no way to know like besides asking, right? So I asked him, well, what do you feel about it? He goes, mm, it's like 
were like privileged to have access to some kind of how, how did he put it like uh <coughs> privileged knowledge like he he said i i feel i feel special to be able to access this like we mm -hmm. never we, we were learning in class that was one experience but now i have this all back knowledge that i can go back to all the time and look at the moves and thinking and, and if, the way he put it i'm then thinking oh I'm, I'm glad that it gave you that feeling because you know we we as as you we work in in, in a room in silos and we mm -hmm. barely can exchange like this with with like-minded like people that do this kind of work right and so we're sometimes we <laughs> three months alone you know <laughs> working on projects and when you get that kind of feedback sometimes people tell us sometimes you go out of your way just to know what are you missing i want to know what you're missing because i feel i want to create stuff for you guys if if i'm just creating for my head who cares you know i mm -hmm. i don't even have perspective of what it is to feel like i remember how, how i feel when i started but not that much you know mm -hmm. i'm here yeah. for you guys so tell me if you tell me you need a, a a move like this i will give you a move like this i'll be happy and i know it will probably answer other people because you had that question the same way you, you were talking about how you started material like you're mm -hmm. answering questions you're answering and exactly. i think that's the best way sometimes i rack my brains for nothing honestly like it's all <laughs> no, there <laughs> it's true and like there's there's so many limitations of a classroom environment you can only say so many words in in 60 minutes you can only practice so much in 60 minutes mm. and so it's important to understand like what are the pros and cons of a class like what are the constraints and then what are the you know the benefits and then online like what are the benefits there as well because i've never gone to a class or like started a you know a three-month um salsa progressive program and the teacher's like okay you're here you're going to end up here and this is how we're going to get there but that's so easy to show someone online. Here's lesson one, here's lesson 30, and here's what we're gonna learn from there to there, and here's the names, and here's the categories, the shines, the partner work, the musicality, the, the this and that. And mm -hmm. so it's just like, wow, because it's a different medium, you can learn and absorb in a different way, and it, and it helps on both sides. And going back to what you were asking about, like how much of the content do I just kind of like rack my own brain for? <clears throat> you know, remembering what was my experience like as a student versus asking the students. Um, like the, those things that like, oh, like I wish I knew how to find the beat faster. Like those things that were like the biggest pains, like those are like ding, ding. Like I know for sure everyone has that question. But then you, like you said, a lot of the time the students have all the answers. It's like, hey, like what are you struggling with? Like I, I'm going to ask you because maybe I didn't quite struggle with that because my history is different. I had a little bit more mm. dance experience before. I played the piano well or something like yeah. that. And so... By I didn't have that problem, but like you have that problem. And because you have that problem, there's probably a bunch of other yous in the world. So yeah, look to your students. They're giving well you all, all the gold. <laughs> I wanted to know, because that's something also related to YouTube. Um, how do you deal with, let's say, trolls, negative comments? How do you, how do you, do you get them? How do you take them personally? Or how do you... <clears throat> mm -hmm. I'm just curious. Great question. It's a, it's a, psychology is so interesting. Um, I've been pretty lucky. I don't get too many trolls, which I feel super blessed. But I think the most, there are some people where like you'll put a salsa video up and it's, it's someone great like Patrick and Scarlett dancing and you'll get comments like, this is not salsa, Puerto Rico and all cats and, or something. And you're just like, bro, like what do you even mean? Like, like yeah. it's like, oh, these are robots. They have no feeling. And you're like, actually like these people win championships um but like you don't need to write that like i think the best response most of the time for trolls is just like ha 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 like lol like just laugh like you, like don't give the power to them just be like 
it, it doesn't matter because like you don't want to have a conversation with those people because this is a big waste of time. Mm. So I think laughing trolls off is the best thing to do. Um, kind of putting them off guard, like you can play with them if you want, but don't, don't get sucked into the vortex of negativity. Um, but interesting enough, I, I did make a video on like, what's the difference between on one and on two? And I was specifically talking about dancing to the counts of one, two, three, five, six, seven. So dancing a tiempo is what you'd say in Spanish. Yeah. And, and there was a lot of people that responded because dancing on two to one, two, three, five, six, seven was popularized by Eddie Torres. Um, and this is pretty common knowledge, but a lot of people are like, Eddie Torres doesn't even know what he's talking about. Like he doesn't even dance this way. Like, and you're just like, okay guys, like, even though like, I've been around the world and like people are dancing that way there in Korea and, and you know, here and, and you're like, okay. And there's actually a YouTube video of Eddie Torres teaching this. And one, two, three, five, six, seven. And here's how you step. So you get people saying all sorts of things. And I, in some ways it's kind of good because you're like, oh, I need to check myself. Like, am I sharing incorrect information or, or, or whatnot? Because I think number one, it's important to remember like, hey, I'm not a salsa god. Like I'm not even the best in the world. And even if I wasn't the best in the world, like I can still make mistakes. Like just because someone has a YouTube channel or an Instagram account and they're sharing things, it doesn't mean they're sharing correct information. So you should never take anything at face value. I hope nobody ever takes what I say at face value. I hope it gives them like points of, of reference so they can dig in and investigate themselves. And if I say something that's wrong, I hope someone comments and says like in a non-trolly way, Hey, dude, like, I think you, what you said was like incorrect and, and blah, blah, blah. Like, actually, I just posted a video <clears throat> recently about a bunch of different timings that you can dance on. And I was talking about dancing on three because a lot of people are like, what? Dancing on three? Um, and yes, people dance on three and they have in the past. It's not as common anymore. And what typically happens these days is dancers trying to dance on one might end up dancing on three because they're connecting with the cowbell. And... A lot of Latinos you'll see here, they never took a dance class, so they're not t counting one, two, three, five, six, seven. They're just hearing something in the music and connecting with it, which is totally fine. There's nothing wrong with that. And they end up dancing on three. And then someone responded to this video and was like, hey, like, um, you kind of made it sound like everyone's dancing on three by mistake, but actually like dancing on three is something that was really common before and there's origins, origins in Changui and blah, blah, blah. And I said like, hey, like, I think his name is Robert. Like, Robert, thanks for reaching out. Like, can you please email me? Like, I'd love to talk more so I can get some sources and, and dig in. And by the way, I didn't, I didn't mean to make it sound like everyone dances by mistake on three, but um, I'll do better next time in, in the way I communicate. So I think it's good just to kind of be open to that. Man, that, that, that I, I guess that was, that's an intelligent, uh, uh, intelligent interaction, <clears throat> but sometimes, you know, I, I would, I would, uh, it happens once in a while, but I I just want to pause the ones that affect me, like the ones mm -hmm. that really make me doubt or like. But it took a while for me to get a hang of what kind of attitude exactly what I, what I will what I'll get right for the first mm -hmm. time when it happened. I had a video of my friend doing a belly dance, one of mm -hmm. the greatest dancers here in Quebec, and it, the video went went viral, and so the 
misogyny you call this like it was Mm -hmm. crazy so i had to raise my filters to a point where if you say shit you're already barred (laughs) screw that Uh, (laughs) you know all the breasts tits and i I couldn't handle Uh it because i remember that that time it was my friend that's what bothered me most so then i was when i was doing videos of with my wife once or twice i did one video then i i was really thinking man if somebody says something i'm gonna strangle the person but (laughs) but i'm thinking it's always the same scenario when a client calls and says, yeah, I spoke to that lady. And that lady ended up being my wife or somebody I really liked. Like th- that kind of attitude, that bravado, it, it, it feels that I always think, what it, how, in what space is somebody in his brain when he's sitting in front of a video that somebody created that took him 20 hours and just goes, shit and fucking, and you know, and I'm thinking, why like and i know there's a, there's there's a part also that of, of people saying well thank them because they give traction for you on youtube and, and it's good for the algorithm so yeah, yeah. whenever I, I i had a guy answer to me answer me this way he said well it's all good for me the the haters they give me more uh, algorithm points and stuff like that so mm-hmm. it was okay so you see it a very practical way right but it's very hard not to take it personal for me i think i'm there's maybe 10% left of sometimes I would like one time the video I did about like the, the fitness thing, the guy said, is it supposed to be funny? Mm-hmm. And man, I wanted to write, you know what I wanted to write? I was said, only if you have joy in your heart, buddy. But I didn't yeah. write anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I said to myself, uh, don't write anything. Yeah. Give yourself a 24 hour <clears throat> rule. Wake mm-hmm. up the next day and go smart. Hmm. Okay. So I'm not gonna write anything. Delete, but uh, it's it's hard. It's hard because we're we're creators and we we like to create stuff and help out. And it's not yeah. it doesn't come from a bad place. And when you get bashed openly like that, it's uh, mm-hmm. it's challenging. And I and I think it's uh, in a way ther- therapeutic because it I kind of slowly remove myself from the effect that it brings me like what i always ask myself why 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 does it bother me that much i always dwell on that question because what did it hit in my body like why i feel mm-hmm. this tension now and i want to murder somebody <laughs> i mean it makes sense because you're pouring your soul into something and i mean we're we're emotional and we're social beings so when someone says something negative about something that was positive for you or that you thought was going to be positive when you put it out into the world like that 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 hurts the heart. And, and I think it's important to like, like you said, I think it's a great rule. And you're like, Hey, this is triggering me. This is bothering me. I'm going to step back for 24 hours, whatever it is. And I think this even works in like a relationship. You can speak to this more you're than right. me. I'm not in a relationship. You're in a marriage. If you're having kind of the scuffle, like, Hey, let's just take a 10 minute break and then see if we still feel the same way in 10 minutes. Good when point. you calm down, like everything's so different. And Gary Vaynerchuk talks about this a lot. I don't know if you know Gary yeah. Vaynerchuk or yeah. follow him. It's like when people are, are spitting that venom at you, like it's because they're not in a healthy place. They're not in a good place. Um, like being critical of someone in, in kind of like a positive way, like, hey, I think you can do this better is one thing. Yeah. But like, yeah. hey, you, you effing suck. Like that or like, hey, this is a waste of time. Why'd you make this video? It's like, why are you watching the video? This obviously isn't for you. Like, let's let's be logical here. So it's important to realize like these people are either in an unhealthy spot like they don't feel love they're not feeling good about their lives so giving that empathy and compassion back to them is like hey they're not feeling in a positive place like me unfortunately this feels damaging to me but like yeah just not taking it personal and being like hey 
Like a more, a more of a, 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 a reflect. Uh, uh, ref- uh, the ha 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 I'll keep it I'll put ha 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 everywhere now <laughs> fuck that ha 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 no because it is no you explained very well it's more a reflection of them because I always think what kind of a headspace you have to be in front of a screen destroying people like what's you're not well right you have you have exactly. a lot of time on your hands you could be doing some fun stuff you might be <clears> able to do uh, your own channel how about you do your own channel always think about Man, it's so hard to do, even if I don't like something. I have a friend, amazing choreographer. Sometimes she does pieces. I don't like him. I don't say anything. Once <laughs> she does something that hits me, I go, ah, that's amazing. But I'm yeah. not going to critique her out of the blue without her asking me anything. Yeah, you totally. know that move you just did. You know, like, like what, what is this? Like, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm God sitting here. I know everything. So yeah, so it's a very good point. I want to. It's all uh, almost an hour, my friend. If if not an hour, <laughs> uh, I want to finish with a philosophical question. All right, let's do it. Salsa or bachata? Salsa or bachata? Um, I think there's always going to be something you connect more with, and that comes from probably your your confidence level or, or love with the music. So for example, I've practiced more salsa. I've never really done like bachata training or, or anything like that. So I connect more with salsa at the moment because I feel more comfortable and I can express myself better to salsa mm. music. I would love to get there with bachata, but I'm not there yet. So I enjoy salsa more. Um, Now I here- love all of them and I would love to do kizomba and zouk as well, but I'm not there yet. Uh, we, there's an argument right now because the bachata is booming like crazy here in Montreal for the past five years. And mm-hmm. I had a guy explain to me, there's many reasons for that. And, and one of the reasons that I still, I don't know what, what your thoughts about it. He, he says it's because bachata is easier than salsa. Mm. I, how would I answer that? I think if you're not counting sensual bachata, um, if you're just talking about kind of like modern bachata, like taking the, the salsa turns and kind of putting them in the bachata, I think it's simpler. It's slower music, number one. The music is less complex. And it's, so it's easier to find the beat, number one, which is really helpful for beginners, and mm. it's slower. So there's a bit of less pressure. Um, and so the moves are going to be easier to execute. So I think on that level, it's going to be easier. If you start jumping into sensual batata, that's going to require a lot more technique, a lot more subtlety, a lot more understanding oh, yeah. of, of musicality, etc. So I think if you start going into sensual batata, I'd say like, hey, it, it's not worth comparing. It's a bit different. It's, there's tech, more technique involved. Um, but on one more comment I wanted to make is, Everyone's kind of diving into central bachata right away. And I wish that more people were doing traditional bachata first and, you know, adding the, the turns kind of modern and then going to the central body rolls, etc. There's a lot of women I mean, walking. There's a lot of women walking around right now with a lot of spine pain and a lot of complaints <laughs> because guys are destroying them. A lot of yeah, physical, and, a man is killer. Yeah, and not only because like it's probably uncomfortable for a lot of follows, but also just like from a from a foundational level. If you start learning um, like sensual bachata, but then a traditional bachata comes on, you're like, oh, I don't dance. That. It's like you dance bachata, but you don't dance bachata. Like, I think it's always good to understand and appreciate the culture from the ground up. Like understanding what what created what I'm doing now. You know, if you, if you like your own little variant of it. Um, yeah, that's just my two cents though. Listen. Um Amazing conversation. I really uh, enjoyed your perspective. I really enjoyed the, the, the way you go about things, about your business, about Dance Dojo. Now that I know the philosophy behind it or your mindset or how you go about, I have even more respect for you, for your work and what you do for Salsa. I am a fan also, okay? And I recommend 
your work to my students and I'll keep doing it. And I'm happy that you're doing it for another part of the world. And I appreciate your time, Robin. And I don't know if you want to throw out there how people can reach you or how can they get in touch with you and what uh, they can uh, they get in, involved in your in your space. Sure, Ilias, first of all, I just want to say like thank you so much to you. You're a, a very bright light in the community and I've watched you over the years and you stay super positive. And I think that's so important because there's there's one thing is, is learning salsa or learning dance, but another thing is, is feeling like safe, a part of a community enjoying the people you're doing all of this with because really at the end of the day like life is about people and, and being a community so i, I, I think you're a, a great community leader so I'm, i'm proud of you for that and i really admire you for that thank you boss um and your last question how can people connect with dance dojo um easiest way is the dance dojo.com go straight to the website if you're curious about the online lessons you can try them completely free for a week we're also on um, instagram and you can find us on facebook The dance joke the, the dance dojo there you go well, th thank you very much robin uh, <clears throat> and uh, i hope to talk to you soon we can do this there this yearly maybe from another country <laughs> sounds good <laughs> i'll I'm follow in. you i'll follow you around the world every year we do a meeting around <laughs> this time i would love to talk to you again for sure oh for sure well we'll have to cross paths in montreal sometime That'd and be cool. you're That'd be cool. you're a great interviewer so i, I really appreciate it this was fun so thank, thank you thank you my friend take care all right bye-bye ciao